0: Hello, and welcome to In Unison. I'm Zane Fiala. And I'm Giacomo G. Grigoli. And this is our podcast all about new choral music and the composers, conductors, choristers, and administrators who bring it to life. Let's start the show! Hey, everyone. Today's episode of In Unison is about a very cool chorus called Kaleidoscope Vocal Ensemble. We are chatting with the co-founder and artistic director of the group, Ariana Bella, not only about what makes this ensemble unique, but what makes them successful in their artistic endeavors. Kaleidoscope focuses on both contemporary music and early music. So let's start off by hearing something old. From a 2019 live performance that you can hear on their SoundCloud, here is Zinget dem Herren ein Neues Lied by Johann Sebastian Bach. Yeah. joining us today on In Unison is Ariane Abella, and we're going to talk all about her ensemble, the Kaleidoscope Vocal Ensemble, a group of nine professional singers from around the United States that performs both early and new vocal music with the highest artistic excellence while celebrating racial, ethnic, and gender diversity. In addition to performances and artistic residencies, the ensemble engages in creative educational outreach to audiences and students, particularly in communities of color, and promotes the study, research, performance, and recording of music from various eras with special attention to the intersection of arts and social justice. Not only is Ariane Kaleidoscope's artistic director, but she is also director of the choral program at Amherst College. She recently served on the conducting faculty at Wayne State University in Detroit, Michigan, and is a founder of the Detroit Women's Chorus and Detroit Justice Choir, two ensembles dedicated to social justice and community empowerment. Focusing her efforts on community building through song, Ariane founded the House of Clouds and has worked closely with Musicians Take a Stand to organize over a dozen benefit concerts for charities and various causes across the country. Ariane received her doctorate in conducting from the University of Michigan with Jerry Blackstone, who uh, we've interviewed previously on this show, as well as Eugene Rogers. Uh, Her master's degree in choral conducting from Yale University. There you go, Giacomo, another (laughs) Yaley, And her Bachelor of Arts from Smith College. Ariane sings professionally in ensembles across the United States and Canada, and I'm excited to say, though I am biased, she's originally from the San Francisco Bay Area and sang with the San Francisco Girls Chorus for many years. Ariane, thank you so much for joining us today. We are very excited to chat with you.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited.
2: Yay, go Bay Area and Bay, and, and the San Francisco Girls Chorus alum. I, this, it's so exciting to have you today, and it's so exciting to get to know you a little bit better and the work you're doing. We like to start off getting to know you personally a bit with an icebreaker, so here's one for you. Have you ever met an idol or someone you revere greatly?
1: Okay, so I'm I'm... I didn't quite meet him because, um, things didn't work out, but I will say that we were within feet of one another. So I'm going to count this as, 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 um, uh, as a go for this question. Um, so Stevie Wonder is my idol.
2: Ooh. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, um, my husband Noah knows that I'm completely obsessed with Stevie Wonder and, uh, we were in Iowa at one point and he found out that Stevie Wonder was getting um, his, uh, I guess his street was gonna be named after Stevie Wonder in Detroit. And so he drove us back through the night with a three month old in the car. <laughs> um, just to get me back to surprise me. And I got these, I got to be like a few feet away from Stevie as they named the, um, the new street in Detroit, and it was amazing. And I was going to meet him, and but then something happened with the timing, and this reporter who was going to hook me up didn't work out. But I got to see him, and I got to hear him really close singing, you know, and kind of speaking about his life, and that was really cool. So. Oh wow,
2: that is awesome. Favorite uh, favorite albums or favorite tracks? Anything oh, that god, specifically? Oh god, that's, that's, his work, that's, that's not like, fair. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we're hard.
2: And then, which of your children do you love more? That's the <laughs>
1: Well, it would have been hard. I almost named, like, I wanted to name both of them Stevie, but then I was like, but I can't do that. You know, so. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think, um, oh gosh. I mean, I just, songs in the key of life. I just went, I just went and saw him on tour do that. So, um, that's pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Maybe one day I'll meet him, but that's like that's the goal. That's the life goal
0: here. <laughs> if
2: anyone if anyone has contacts to Stevie Wonder, please.
1: <laughs> Help me, Help yeah. me
0: out. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ariane, I mean, we've got a multitude of ensembles we could talk about because you direct, you have directed and do direct many, but uh, today's focus of course is on the kaleidoscope vocal ensemble. So let's start there um, with kind of the the general ethos of the organization. What's What's going on uh, underneath the surface of Kaleidoscope Vocal Ensemble?
1: Well, um, so Sherry Pintocki, um, she's one of our sopranos. We went to grad school together and um, we had talked a lot about feeling, you know, the feeling that there are not as many people of color in the circle of singer- singers that we perform with. And we had that conversation casually and, um you know, many years later, we were still having that conversation. And so we thought, you know, why not create an ensemble um, where the dialogue about diversity and inclusion, you know, is part of the, the action and the performing. Uh, the performing. And so we, um, we decided to just go for it and create this ensemble. And it really is such a different kind of feeling when we're on stage together. Um, we were so lucky to have a performance two weeks ago Uh, our first performance since the pandemic. Um, So it had been two and a half years since we had been together. And and it was, you know, the the thing that I love about the group is that there's just a lot of um, heart and openness and um, and it's a different kind of family. It just feels like we are, we're all really able to listen to each other. So there's something really special about this particular group of people and coming together, I think. Um, So that's kind of, you know, what I love about the group, that there's just this really exciting energy and there's space for each person to sort of share in the group.
0: Where are you from originally, Ariane?
1: San Francisco Bay Area.
0: So you are are born and raised here in in the city? Yes.
1: Um, My parents moved to – we kept moving south, probably because it was a little warmer each time. (laughs) So my parents are right by – Stanford, uh, a few minutes away from Stanford's
0: campus. Awesome. And then you found yourself heading across the country, uh, going to Yale, going to Smith College, ended up at University of Michigan with Jerry. Um, And then what got you to the East Coast uh, where you are now currently residing?
1: Um, Yeah, so Amherst College, um, I started the position here four years ago now, and it's just been Great. It's great to be back, and it's weird to be back in the same place, where kind of similar area where I went to college. So,
0: <laughs> awesome. And so then, after all of these experiences, you've been at Amherst, you've been all over the country. What does what drove you to form Kaleidoscope, as it is?
1: So I've been um, very passionate about one accessibility in a classroom, and two making sure that my choral classroom is welcome to everyone Um, and the the basic story is that um, I was born without my left leg and without most of my fingers and um, I struggled with that as a kid, it was sort of difficult for me to find a home, Um, I didn't want to play sports, I didn't really want to do anything where I had to show my, um, my hands especially. And um, I joined the San Francisco Girls Chorus, and all of a sudden I felt like I was at home. I met these people who are still my very best friends today. And um, music was really transformative for me as a kid. I, I felt like I could do something and, um, and belong in some way. And so when I um, teach in a classroom, I'm always thinking about how to make this space as welcoming and positive for, for my students. And with that, you know, came the thought of how do I create a space for everybody to also have the difficult dialogue, so to be open, to be vulnerable. And I always set the stage by saying, I'm going to be vulnerable. I'm going to share my story first, um, so that everybody sees that this is a place where they can just be themselves. Um, and the idea of Kaleidoscope is is that, is that, you know, we can let go of all of these things and and worries that we hold on to, and we can leave them outside of the room and share in our rich diversity in a space. And so i um, the the group is not just about you know that racial diversity, but it really is about our individual diversity within um, ourselves as humans and the the richness that we can gain from being together and sharing about ourselves. So that's kind of where that, that started. And, um, you know, my story is so much a part of um, why I'm passionate about reaching out and, and helping young people, because it just was so formative for me and, like, really uh, saved my life, basically. So.
0: <laughs> and the name Kaleidoscope, I mean, I could make some assumptions, but how did you come up with that name, and did it take a long time?
1: Oh, so this is actually it's a very... Um, special name because a friend of mine, also a um, a Yalei, <laughs> um, <guys>. uh, uh, <laughs> um so he's he's a Yale alum. Um, he was in his eighties and he just passed away a year ago. Um, and I was having dinner. I met him through the alumni chorus. Uh, his name's Linus Travers. Oh, and he- Linus you know linus
2: yes linus was a uh, uh one of the earliest and founding uh, founding member or earliest members of the yes. dukes men of yale yes you now the dukes of yale which was uh, my acapella group i know Linus okay, and, yep. and his kids and i went to school with julia yeah
1: you did julia yeah, okay I love julia. I love julia okay so so linus um i was having dinner with linus and margaret at their house and i said i really want to create this group um but i don't know if i can do it and he actually was sitting there saying just go for it, you know. And encouraging me, and I, I, said, well, I can't figure out a name because this is what this is what the group's about. It's about diversity. It's about inclusivity. It's about shared space. And he just said, that's a kaleidoscope, my dear. And that was like, <laughs> that was it. That was the name. Very
2: Linus. Very Linus. It was Linus. very
1: Linus, and it was so perfect. And so moving that we got started and um, and of course, you know it's just like very painful that he, he he's passed. but um, I think of him a lot when, when we perform together because you know he's such an instrumental part of that. Um, so that's so cool that you know him. <laughs> yeah
2: I mean, he was an incredibly influential person for so many folks. I mean yeah. I think he's just I, I forget what it was at the Yale Medal of Honor or some yeah, some some, uh, some some huge prestigious uh, Yale Award. Yeah, and,
1: he's pretty really amazing. <laughs> yeah.
2: I mean, he just was a wonderful human being, and his, his passing has certainly left a, a hole for many of us. But yeah,
1: um, yeah, but
2: it's wonderful to see what impact he's made. Even the name Kaleidoscope, I how mean, do you like that? Yeah,
1: so, so he is responsible for the name of the group. Yeah, it's pretty cool. That's great. <laughs>
2: So you, you've talked a little bit about um, the ethos of, of the organization sort of having this uh, social justice mission, and I think f- the very fabric of the group um, is, is comprised of folks who who further that mission. Maybe you can tell us a little bit also about your educational mission, sort of this other angle that you have of um, utilizing the ensemble to to teach as well. Tell us a bit about that.
1: Sure. Um, well, first of all, I think everybody in the group is super passionate about um creating relationships with younger musicians, um, inspiring people to, to sing if they think they can't to be in the space, to sort of setting the stage um, for people of all kinds to feel comfortable in this musical realm. The thing that we love most is that on most of our gigs, we really make an effort to um, do some kind of panel or outreach or discussion with students. Um, or community community members, but um, to really connect with them and have difficult conversations, to really say, um, here's what we're looking at, here's what diversity means in uh, the classical music world, Um, and and to ask the difficult questions and to sort of put ourselves out there in vulnerable ways um, to set the stage for them. And I think um, that makes us unique as an ensemble, sort of, uh, the effort that we make to to sort of put ourselves out there in that way. Um, and we, um, we do things in two ways. One, we perform music that everyone might hear other professional groups sing, like Bach or Monteverdi, but here we are as a fully diverse racially diverse group of people singing it. So for us having young people see that on stage is hopefully inspiring that everybody can sing this music. And the second thing we do is um, do new works, mostly by BIPOC by composers to sort of showcase um, not only our flexibility as musicians and singers, but um, that we are interested in bringing forth that music into um, the limelight. So we, we do both of those things in, order, in our programming. Um, And we also, yeah, just I think really having panels and having discussions has been such a huge impactful part of our program, not just for the people we're working with, but for us. I think that each time we do it, we learn about how we can be better performers and uh, educators.
2: I want to tap into this a little bit more, and this may be a slightly sensitive question, but you sort of talked about opening yourselves up and being vulnerable. And one of the things I think that you have clearly done in this educational capacity is representation. Right? Representation matters. We all know that if you can see it, you can be it. Um, a, f- a few months ago, we chatted with my dear friend uh, Michelle Kennedy, who is also a member of the ensemble, who's fabulous and who tipped us off to you, which is which is great. And we spoke a little bit about some of the other things that are kind of underlying the, the uh, underlying the sort of um, biases in the sort of old music world. And I wonder if you can tell a little bit more about that. Maybe you can tell a little bit more about that feeling of like, why does it feel like, you know, you couldn't be a person of color and a part of this early music? Um, Aside from representation, are there other things going on that sort of, uh, that keep folks from participating?
1: That's really interesting. I mean, I think that, um, you know, the choral music that we love that is from these, these, traditionally white European backgrounds, Um, it doesn't always feel accessible to people. I think one, because um, I think so often the people who are able to make that kind of music come from a place of privilege. And that has always been um, just kind of systematic for us. And, And so I feel rather lucky that as a, kid in the San Francisco Girls Chorus, I was exposed to music at that age, but I think a lot of our educational systems would not really invite young people to have access to this kind of music unless they come from some sort of privileged place. And so I think it, it, you know, we hope to break down that barrier by showing representation, by saying, everybody can sing this. And I think the more that kids see us on stage to see a Filipino woman conducting, that's a huge deal. Um, I had a young girl actually come up to me once and say i've never seen a Filipino woman conduct. She was Filipino she 's about nine and she's like i've never seen someone like you conduct um, this kind of music and she was totally blown away and I was so thrilled that she came up to me and said that um, to say that because i it made me really think about how um, how much more I could do as a musician and as someone um, as an advocate for for people um, in the world and you know, um, something I will say straight off the bat is that it's so important for us as this diverse group to really um, include everybody in this conversation. Um, and it, sometimes, you know, we're still learning about that. So it's, it's a process for us. It's, it, we're not experts. We're not saying that we're experts in this field. We're, we're learning as well. And so it really is a two-way street. Um, my husband is the one white member of the group, and um, I always point out that, that he's part of this group because for me, too, it's not just about an ensemble of people of color versus the world. It's, it's about everybody feeling included and people who are white also being part of the conversation, also being part of advocacy, and also being active listeners, um, that it's not the job of people of color to say, here's what you need to do. It's actually everybody involved in the conversation, um, equally and, and actively. So that's kind of where we are. And, and it's, you know, we, we, things are still fluid and fluctuating the way we, we are um, leading this mission, but it's, it's still, you know, it's, it's really great so far, what we've been able to do.
0: Let's take a moment and listen to a little music. Here is an excerpt of the hauntingly beautiful When the Violin By Rena Esmail.
2: You you mentioned the the repertoire itself sort of being um, sometimes a bit of a barrier for folks that, you know, maybe sort of basic music education or exposure to these types of music is sort of um, uh, can be a challenge both for audiences, but then also for artists who maybe hadn't been exposed to it or or, uh, it's not in their blood, as you will. Quite literally, you know, if you're talking about Western European tradition being a lot of this music. Yes. So let's talk um, a little bit about your artistic operations, right? I mean, here you are as the artistic director of this group. You've got to choose rep for any seasons that are coming up. What do you consider when you're programming?
1: Well, so I think it's really important for us to do um, some of the more standard works. um, Again, in order to say, here we are, this diverse group of people. We're allowed to sing all this repertoire. And here's something that is that is commonly heard from, you know, the Baroque era. Um, And here we are looking like a totally different group of kinds of people, uh, sorry, here we are looking like a totally different group of people um, performing this, you know, an unfamiliar sight, And so, um, you know, we might do some Monteverdi, we might do some Schutz, we might do some Bach um, and and showcase in that sense. And then I always try to juxtapose it with some really interesting works by composer friends you know i'm as a composer myself i just i really believe in new music and um there's so many people who write really interesting works that are just not um uh performed in conjunction with with these early pieces i I want to show that all music can be linked that there's not there's a flow to to um this early repertoire and this new repertoire and, and I try to find sort of, sort of a link between them.
2: Is there ever any tension in programming there for you? I mean, I, I I'm sort of like, I'm trying to think of the modern day analog of like, you know, sometimes you'll trip across a problematic composer or, you know, a history of a, of something that you're just like, Oh, we really, you know, that's really not a voice we want to uplift. The hard part for you, of course, is that these are, you know, pillars of Western music that you're talking about here in the history of Western music. Have you ever had a moment where you're like, "This wow, this is a really interesting juxtaposition or conflict? I mean, it almost sort of begs the question of like, what would Bach think if he were listening to Kaleidoscope today? And what conversation might you would have with them?
1: Wow, that's a really good question. I'm not sure I have an answer for that. Um, because it's also, it's hard for me. You know, I love this early music. I, um, I really fell in love with it when I went to Yale at, at the Institute of Sacred Music. It's just... Um, that was really my my personal first exposure to Bach and and um, music like that. But I I try really hard not to program anything that is culturally insensitive. It, it, you know I I really try to look at who the composer was and what was going through their minds when they were writing. Um, so you know when I do put the pieces together. I'm usually, I'm mindful that sometimes, you know, a composer may have been, um, totally unaware of different worlds when they were writing it, but I almost see that as a beautiful thing to to pair with a composer from America who might be an immigrant, because then you're seeing, there might be some similarities in the pieces that you would never have seen, and it sometimes can make for like a beautiful narrative, um, yeah, this is really interesting. I mean this is getting me to think a little bit more that maybe I, maybe I should be thinking about that more, but I, I, um, I think you had another question in there that I am trying to remember about.
2: Like what would Bach think if he was a kaleidoscope? Yeah. I mean, what would, what would some of these folks, I mean, I feel like Hildegard would be like F yeah, finally, (laughs) you know, I mean, there's some folks who, you know, I think you would pull up and and I think that their reactions would be quite positive. I mean, I'm just curious.
1: Yeah. No, that's a really good question about, you know, what would Bach think? I mean, if he heard Kaleidoscope, I hope he'd think, "Damn, they're good," because <laughs> like <laughs> we have some really good singers in this group, and 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 doing really, really thoughtful, um, uh, thoughtful work. You know, um, I, I mean, I think that Bach would probably say the same thing about hearing um, a giant forty-five person modern orchestra, sing, you know, performing, performing just as much as he would say, "Whoa, what's this new ensemble doing this?" But but I, I do think. I, I like to think that these composers would say, would be appreciative that their work is continuing to live through different ways and means. So I'd like to think that that would be a positive thing. Um, but you, we will never really know, will we? <laughs> it is interesting. Um, yeah, yeah.
0: So you mentioned uh, when you're programming that you find these links and these connections and these ways to draw through lines between this repertoire from the standard repertory that's potentially centuries old um, juxtaposed against modern music that's being written right now by living composers. Can you give us an example from a recent program of how you did that and the the different ways that um, those through lines connect both Old music and new music.
1: Sure. So we just did a program um, with a lot of Monteverdi, um, and th- we also programmed um, a piece by Jonathan Woody, who is one of our members, and uh, the piece is called Negro Um And oh, so maybe you, you, you both know the piece. Um,
2: I know the text. And the okay. Text. Okay. You know the text. Great. Yeah, yeah. So yeah.
1: So uh, the the text is based on the you know um, the traditional. Uh, Latin, and we purposefully did this um, with the Monteverdi and with the uh, pieces of the similar style. And Jonathan does an amazing job of mimicking the sound of Monteverdi and Schutz and Bach. So it's written in this um, Renaissance uh, Baroque, you know, late Renaissance, um, early Baroque style with continuo. But the text... Is a compilation of microaggressions that um, different people of color uh, hear as performers. Um, I mean, there's some really painful and almost, you know, some people don't really know how to react when they read the text or hear the text spoken in the concert because it's, it's kind of shocking actually. Um, but it's, uh, I'd hate to run into you at night, or it was one of the lines, for example. Mm-hmm. Or when you stood up on that stage, I expected you to sing "Old Man River," and these are real experiences that Reggie Mopley had compiled um, from after crowd sourcing. Um, and so, for example, you know that paired with the Monteverdi piece is really fascinating because we're hearing the sounds, the same kind of sounds, um, same kind of style and articulation, but here. Um, What I really love, that the way Reggie had explained it once to me, is that um, what the audience is hearing is what we're presenting musically, but what we hear repeating in our minds every time we face microaggression is what's playing through our minds while we're singing this music. So it's really a juxtaposition of these two two experiences and and showing that what people might be hearing in the audience the people who have maybe said these things without realizing it, maybe, you know, they have no idea what we're experiencing, which is, you know, we're singing this music, but our, in our minds is this, is this text. And so, so that's an example of uh, one of the pieces or, or a couple pieces that we put together in the program.
2: Yeah, the Negro Sum text itself is a microaggression, isn't it? I mean, the type of, I I am black, but beautiful.
1: Yeah.
3: Right? No, is. no, it's not.
2: It's Negro sum Et Formosa. I am black and beautiful. Thank you very and much. Beautiful. You know, it, it's really fascinating. It uh, is. That, that is a pretty exceptional text, I think, to 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 put in front of folks, and that juxtaposition is incredibly powerful. Um, what do you look for when you are? You, you spoke a little bit about the 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 makeup of the ensemble itself. What do you look for when you are finding and retaining art, artists for Kaleidoscope?
1: Um, so a lot of, so we have a a core ensemble and then a, a couple people, um, wonderful people who are sub, who sub in for us. Um, but I really think more than anything, um, I wanted the group to be made out of people who cared about articulating, one, their love for early indie music, and two, um, their passion for... A more equitable space, a musical space, um, and and these people um, are all singers that I've sung with in various places. Um, a number of them from from graduate school, and then another in the professional world. And um, every person, I think, in this group is able to sort of do both, and you know, the, sing you know at a really high level, really excellent career. Um, so that they can model that for younger people and say, you know, I'm successful. This is what I've been able to to do. Um, but really it's all about the heart for me. It's all about, um, getting people who care about others and who make space because there's no room for people. Um, in this group, there's just no room for anyone to get on that stage and and take up all the space. It's really about sharing it. And so that, that for me was a huge, important factor.
0: When was Kaleidoscope founded?
1: In 2019, literally <laughs> months before the pandemic, so um, I, our oh. first performance was September
0: 2019. Oh, Okay, yeah. So you're, it's a young ensemble, um, and so really there hasn't been a lot of turnover. It's been kind of the core, same core of singers since its inception. Is that correct? Yes, yes. Yeah. And
1: we're really trying to maintain that as much okay. as possible. That the, the core group of people, um, and but we have a couple wonderful subs who are, you know, feel very much part of the group. But I think. Mm. Yeah, as much as we can, because there's so much dialogue that happens with the group, and there's so much um, outreach, we want it to be pretty consistent rather than like a different person coming in. So,
0: yeah. Well, so you haven't had a chance to perform too many times because no, we
1: have not <laughs> because of this
0: uh, this pandemic thing that we've all been dealing with. Um, but still, I imagine now as we're kind of seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, we're seeing um, you know in-person performances coming back. How far ahead now are you looking as you're planning artistic seasons um, and and getting you know your sights set on the future?
1: So it's really tricky because this group of people are like some of the busiest people <laughs> I know. So um, you know, getting our schedules in in order is is so tough. But um, we are super excited. So in two weeks, we'll be singing at uh, ACDA in Raleigh um, as a featured ensemble um and then yeah that's gonna be great and then um we'll be singing at the the national podium conference in toronto um in in, uh in may um and then we'll be working with the five boroughs um, festival in new york um on a premiere 15 new works um, so and then Indianapolis uh, music early music festival. So we have a lot of things coming up, and then we are planning all the way right now through the end of spring twenty twenty three at the moment. So we're looking. I'm currently um, scheduling those with, um, right now with the hope that the pandemic will just allow for all of this to happen. <laughs> yeah.
2: So Ariane, you mentioned there are nine singers, mm-hmm. of which you are one. Is that correct?
1: I'm not. I you're not. So you're, but you
2: con- you're conducting. Yes. You're pulling the group together. You're you're you're, you're the artistic director, uh, and you're you're sort of pulling this group together. How big is your staff? How many people are actually helping you pull this together?
1: Me and me and me. <laughs> <laughs>
2: That's what I thought. So, <laughs>
0: you <laughs> led that question.
2: That <laughs> so, I mean, you are, you are a young organization and you really are trying to pull this all together. Yes. What is that like for you? I mean, to, sort of to occupy, we, we've had conversations um, uh, in the past with usually we, we talk with an artistic director and then their executive director as a pair and sort of say, mm-hmm. well, how do you work together and how does this work for you? You're you're a, a one-person show here. How do you manage to do uh, both of these sort of sides in, in in your own mind? And how long do you want it? Like, is this an ideal state for you? Or you know, I mean, t- tell, us, tell us a little bit about how you because yeah, having you two
0: kids isn't uh, isn't yeah, difficult. two, two
2: kids,
1: and a, <laughs> uh, two kids, and a puppy with a broken leg definitely make it even more difficult. Oh. <laughs> but um, yeah, I am right now. Um, I'm definitely doing funny things that I am like, okay, you know, one day we'll have a little bit more help. Like I think in our last gig I was ordering, ordering everybody's meal and, you know, like putting in all the, the food orders and I was like, oh man, <laughs> it would be really awesome if I didn't have to do this um, and, you know, conduct you're, a concert. <laughs> yeah,
2: you're marking up your score with ketchup. It's
1: I was basically, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, it, but I, I, I know, I believe in this group so much that I don't mind taking this on at the moment, and it's been really good for me, honestly. I would say that I am a person who, you know, I am a very good ideas person, and I, I'm, I'm really passionate about my work, um, but I'm learning as I go about the administrative side that I don't feel like I um, maybe am a strong Suited for, <laughs> you know. I so I, I'm getting there, and there are people. We have a really great board, and we're getting, you know, a little bit more support now, and we're just we're we're really growing. So I think, um, over time, it's going to happen for us, and maybe we'll get a little bit more help. But it is, you know, I do find myself working on on uh, admin things like um, reimbursements at 11 p.m. So. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yes, I know all about that. My wife was doing exactly the same thing at midnight last night, working on invoices for a recent event. She's a chef, but yeah, that was,
1: Yep. <laughs> yep. this is
0: the life of being a parent. Sometimes the personal stuff happens at the very, very end of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have a board. How big is the board?
1: Oh goodness. I think we have about 10 or so people. Oh, wow. I'm not, I can't remember. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's great.
1: Yeah, it's great, and um, it's a, a com- combination of music enthusiasts and conductors, and it's a, really nice.
2: When you think of ideal opportunities for the organization right now, are you thinking more outbound or inbound? Meaning, do you think more about structuring programs that you want to put on locally and sort of you know bring all the gang together and, and perform either locally in Boston or certain specific places like that, such that you're selecting venues? Or are, is your model sort of thinking a little bit more like, I've got this awesome stable of musicians and I've got, you know, certain rep that, that we've got on the go and hey, we're we're ready for hire wherever you want, we'll we'll go out there. Because you, you the, the ensemble is actually distributed, right? Some folks on west coast, east coast, kind of everywhere. So how do you think about that? What is your preference in terms of your operating style right now? Do you have one?
1: Um, you know, I think right now I I'm actually just getting so many amazing inquiries, honestly, about the group that I haven't thought um so many inquiries and so few weeks in the year that people are actually free simultaneously. So um, I think I really see this, I mean, since we're so based in outreach, I really see us going places um, to different locations and really doing a performance and some sort of outreach community um, engagement. So I think um, that's kind of where we are right now. I mean, I'm really going where, where people are interested in having us.
0: What does putting a program together look like for Kaleidoscope? Do you do all the singers converge for a certain amount of time and rehearse together and then put on the program or like what does that look like?
1: Um so I'll give you an idea. Um, a couple weeks ago we were at Vassar College and we had two rehearsals, one evening rehearsal of 3 hours and then the next morning we had another 3 hour rehearsal. But as one of our members Enrico Lagasca put it we spent so much of that time really excited to see each other that we basically only had like an hour of rehearsal. (laughs) Um, But, you know, I'll send the music ahead of time and we'll come together, we'll rehearse and we'll just do a quick, quick, you know, couple of rehearsals and then
0: concert. A true professional.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely.
2: And if you've got all these sort of inbound calls, which is amazing, like I think everyone would love to be in a situation where you've got that attention and, and folks are interested and excited in what you're working on, how do you get the word out there? I mean, how do you reach those professionals who are interested in that? I mean, it sounds like you'd mentioned you're doing things like ACDA, which is great. Like, I mean, it's a great opportunity to folks to be exposed to what you're doing and things like that. Are there specific opportunities you look for to put yourself out there or your name out there? Or is it just sort of fully organic word of mouth through the membership and things like that?
1: I think in the future, well, I will say this one thing that that my dream is to be able to apply for more grants and have enough money so that financial situations are not controlling the kinds of performances and outreach we do, because as of now, the places that can bring us out are the places that can afford us. And those are not necessarily the people who need to hear us. Um, and so I really don't like that money is a factor. I I one day hope that we can just say, let's go over here and do, you know, work with different schools and and, and let's not have money be a, a part of that issue. So that's currently, I mean, right now, because we're still kind of in the middle of the pandemic and we're, we're still trying to, to get started, even though, you know, technically we started two years ago, um, we're just, kind of existing and, and hoping that um, word of mouth will sort of help us expand a little. Yeah.
0: Let's pause for just a moment and listen to another performance by the Kaleidoscope Vocal Ensemble. From their first online concert in April of 2021 called Home, here is And the Swallow by Pulitzer Prize winning composer Caroline Shaw.
3: Is your twain?
0: Pivot back to collaborating with composers, because <clears throat> that's something that you're that you do. So aside, you mentioned that that there's a few composers within the group, yourself included, which is fantastic. Um, are there some other living composers that you've collaborated with uh, that you can can you tell us about?
1: Sure. Um, we just did um, a wonderful commission with the Yale League Club on um, a piece by Joel Thompson um, called um, "Prayer for Deliverance." and it is um an, it's truly an amazing work um, kaleidoscope are were featured as the soloist and then the Yogi club is there as the chorus and it's about a 15 minute work um and it's stunning um so that's an exciting project we made a virtual choir video of that and we plan to premiere it in January January 2023 um because that's the next time we could really all be in New Haven together. Um, and then, um, Rena Esmail um, arranged one of her pieces, um, is a pre-existing piece, but she's arranged it to fit a kaleidoscope uh, called When the Violin, and it's beautiful, and so she's someone we've worked with. And then, um, a lot of us uh, went to school with Caroline Shaw, and we, you know, she's another person that we were doing one of her pieces, um, and The Swallow, which is one of our favorites. Um, and that's always on our program too.
0: So mm-hmm. we love Caroline Shaw. Yeah,
1: we've
0: we were able to premiere something. Our choir Iocsf was able to premiere a piece uh, by Caroline
2: awesome. a while
0: back called Fly Away I, which was
2: just a great, oh, amazing great I'm experience. Sure. Yeah, I love, we, we love, love Caroline. And we love Rena. Yeah. We've been chatting with her as well <laughs> yeah. about uh, possibly programming some of her music very soon. Which is very. cool. I mean, yeah. These are. I mean, these are some of the folks that are. It's awesome to see you. Programming some of their work and having yeah. conversations with them. They're really awesome. So people. cool.
1: Yeah, Rena, Rena, I went to school with us too. So it's like been a kind of fun like reunion of, you know, coming back together and, and collaborating with people we were in school with. So
2: all Yaleys, is that right? From yeah. this yeah. See, Zane, I'm telling you, it's where it's happening. <laughs>
1: See, she said
0: Yale Glee Club a minute ago, and I was like, God, "It's funny, Giacomo hasn't uh, launched off on a pro Yale <laughs> rant
1: yet."
2: No, no, I was. I, it's because I was not Capella nerd. We didn't do Glee Club. Oh, come on, come on. far too cool.
1: Oh man, <laughs> <laughs> I won't tell. I won't tell Jeff.
0: No, <laughs> I've gotten the chance to conduct the Yale Glee Club. They well, came, we did a performance with them at uh, Grace Cathedral, and we did Randall Thompson's Ooh. "Hallelujah." And I got to conduct the whole that's Glee awesome. Club with IRC, So that was a pretty good, pretty good experience.
1: <laughs> yeah, that, that's so cool. Oh, yeah. amazing.
0: I want to talk about venues, um, obviously, because you're a young ensemble and COVID kind of screwed everything up. You haven't had the opportunity to perform a lot. But what's what's the perfect venue for a kaleidoscope in your mind?
1: Oh, wow. What a fun question, because I would love to see us in spaces that have the same kind of church um you know reverberance but not necessarily in that kind of space i mean i we're open to anything you know we love singing in a church but um i would love to see us doing more uh performing in like alternative spaces that have good acoustics so um having lived in detroit you know i see some of these amazing amazing venues that just were underutilized that were beautiful or you know the museums or things like that would be really cool for us so i think that's um i would love to see us doing that
0: yeah, I, I love the idea of getting outside the church, but still finding good acoustics. And I mean, obviously, that's the reason we perform in churches. A big reason that we perform in churches now is because the acoustics are just so darn good. But yesterday, um, so IOCSF is currently working on a piece by Rex Eisenberg called Messiah's False and True. And it's a big work with organ and bass drum and narrator and chorus. But we had a meet, our first rehearsal last night on Zoom to just learn, you know, look at the piece. And then we got joined by Rex and he chatted with us and told us about the piece. And there was a moment where we started to talk about venues, like where where should this piece be performed, you know, because it's for chorus and organ. And so organs don't exist outside of churches typically. But there were some really fascinating ideas. And someone said... What about performing it in like a city hall somewhere? Because it's all about the rise and fall of messianic leaders, in particular political leaders in America. Um, And so there's a very heavy political um, perspective in the piece. But I thought that was such a fascinating idea to perform it in a city hall. But the idea of performing in museums, too, that's a really cool idea. I think that we need, as choral leaders, we need to be looking to find... Ways of going into venues that don't have the heated, the charged um, ideology that a church has for a lot of people. I mean, I know several people are like, "Oh, I'm not going inside a church. No, thanks. I might actually catch fire as I cross the threshold." <laughs> you know. So yeah. I think that for in in terms of accessibility for our art form yeah. to the yeah. masses, I think getting out of the church is a,
3: is a thing.
2: yeah. And and think about think about the places where many of us like fell in love with the sound of the human voice or the music right waiting for a subway or you know in a bathroom somewhere that's stone and marble right like these places that are just or that magical moment where you you know you're in a museum or someplace that's a a large municipal space and you're like wow three second reverb you know that Mm -hmm. first time you feel that it's so cool it's such a welcoming thing and it'd be interesting to see that happen a bit more just putting in my like two cents for more venues like that would be really. no cool. i think
1: that's great the dia in detroit like was one of my favorite places to ever sing um it, it's like a great museum and um there's like a Diego rivera mural there and you just sing kind of in the middle of that room and it's so stunning and- it is stunning yeah it's i've been there it's <laughs> Beautiful. isn't it beautiful yeah yeah so yeah i would love to see i would love to see us singing in in alternative spaces for sure and again yeah that really brings access, accessibility um into play and and just you know everybody can feel welcome to come hear us that way
0: yeah so. yeah i love that well let's um let's look forward you mentioned uh performing at acda coming up and another convention i believe what other things are on the horizon for a yeah what other things are on the horizon for uh, Kaleidoscope?
1: Um, so we have. Um, I'm. I'm currently working on um, a really amazing project with Morris Smiley, um, composer Maura Smiley, and um, it's really, really interesting. Um, it's called the Pool, and it's taking um, some Greek mythology. Um, and kind of associating it with um, social media and how that's affecting our society. And it's um, she's planning on using um, young students and young people to sort of crowdsource their the effect that social media and the internet has had on uh, on their well-being. And so that's going to be really cool. And that's going to be um, a new commission for next year. Um, and uh, we'll have, uh, we're really hoping to record uh, an album next year. And um, we'll also um, do a couple residencies um, in Minneapolis, hopefully, and um, in DC. We'll be in DC at some point in the spring um, and in Nebraska. So we have a couple things that we're looking at. They're still sort of up in the air, but we're, we're planning on, on uh, being all over the place.
0: Do you think that album is going to be more of a kind of greatest hits, what we do best, or is it going to mirror a program that you would put on where you've got that through line connecting old and new music?
1: Oh, I think, I think probably a lot of connecting in there. Um, Yeah, yeah, I think that's what we're going to do. I haven't figured it out completely, but I do know that I, I really believe in that and that connectivity. And so I think, I hope that we can showcase that.
0: Where can, uh, where can we direct our audience to find you and Kaleidoscope online?
1: So we have an Instagram, um, vocal ensemble and Facebook, um, and we have a great website and anyone can send me an email at any point, but I really hope to uh yeah, connect with more people.
0: Fantastic. Well, this has been really great. Jacqueline, did I miss anything? Are we uh
2: no, I think we're great. I'm just making sure that I'm following Kaleidoscope Vocal Ensemble right now. Oh, thank you. Everyone <laughs> listening should be doing that as well. Go find y'all on Instagram and find find folks uh, so we can follow along and see your programs coming up, which is very That'd cool. Be awesome.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, this has been really, really enjoyable conversation, and I just love learning about ensembles and how they operate. And it just it's it's all fodder for the for the artistic director and me to to continue <laughs> to learn. That's the, yeah. the best thing about this podcast is learning from other uh, folks who are in the same uh you know arena as me mm-hmm. so it's really been wonderful to chat with you and to learn thank more about you. kaleidoscope and I, I i'm so glad that we're getting to the end of this pandemic that we can start to go see live music and i look forward yes. to seeing and hearing kaleidoscope in person someday soon i hope myself
1: i hope so thank you so much
2: and Ariane, when you're back in the bay area come say hello
1: Yes, I was going to say, I'm actually going to be there um, in March, and I'd love to connect with you guys. Um, I'm singing at a wedding in Grace Cathedral, actually. Oh, wow. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or my friend's wedding. Yeah. So, but I, I'll be over there. So it'll be cool. Yeah.
0: Well, Ariane, it's just been so wonderful chatting with you. Thank you for joining us. And uh, we hope that we'll get a chance to see you in March when you're here.
1: Have a great day. That'd be great. Thank you so much. Okay.
0: Let's finish off today's episode with a piece Ariane referenced earlier in the conversation, Prayer for Deliverance by Joelle Thompson. The piece is actually more than 11 minutes long, so this is just an excerpt. If you want to hear the work in its entirety, head over to our show notes where you'll find a link to the YouTube video of the whole performance by Kaleidoscope and the Yale Glee Club. As I mentioned, there's a lot more to this incredible composition, so please visit Kaleidoscope's YouTube channel to hear the rest. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the In Unison Podcast.
2: Be sure to check out episode extras and subscribe at inunisonpodcast.com.
0: You can follow us on all social media at inunisonpod.
2: And leave us a review on Apple Podcasts to let us know what you think.
0: Annual venue planning hosted by Chorus Dolores. Who delights in a casual trill now and then. In Unison is produced and recorded by Mission Orange Studios. Our transcripts have been diligently edited by IOCSF member and friend of the pod, Fausto Daus. And our theme music is Mr. Puffy, written by Avi Bortnik, arranged by Paul Kim, and performed by the Danish vocal jazz ensemble, Dynamic, on their debut album, This Is Dynamic. Special thanks to Paul Kim for permission. Please be sure to check them out at www.dynamicjazz.dk.